position our hearts in such a way that we're ready to receive the, the word that, that is able to save our souls. The word, we, want it to, we want there to be fertile soil so that when the word is received, it penetrates fertile soil and it bears fruit. Amen? The, we know the parable of the sower. The Bible says the word is spoken and immediately the enemy, the, the birds come and take the seed. The enemy comes and steals the word or the word is, is on, on shallow soil or on soil with weeds and it chokes the word out, all those kinds of things. But the last soil is it bears fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. And so with the word that God delivers today, we want it to bear fruit. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. The Bible says to, to, to build yourselves up. Talks about how we build ourselves up, praying in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says to build yourselves up in your, in your holy faith. Build yourself up in faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do, those of you who have your prayer language, I'm going to ask you to pray in your prayer language. Okay? Praying in tongues. Those of you that don't, what I'm going to ask you to do is just begin to, just to cry out to God and say, God, prepare my heart. And even speak to yourself. David spoke to himself in the Psalms. He, he'd say, why so downcast, soul? Or he'd say, soul, you will bless God. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me will bless his name. So David talked to himself. And so I want to encourage you right now, what we're going to do is we're going to intentionally and purposefully prepare our hearts to receive his word, okay? So let's just begin to do that. grace. We thank you that you are enabling us to receive the word, to receive your word, oh God. Father, we open our hearts. We open our hearts and we put our affection and our attention on you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would deal with us. We ask for your grace that will enable us to repent and turn from our wicked ways. Father, that we would turn to you, oh God. Father, I pray for a hunger that will rise up and be stirred up in us, oh God, that we would hunger for the things of God. We will hunger for the things of your kingdom. Father, that our hunger for the things of the world will compare will pale in comparison for our hunger for you, Lord. Father, we ask you to search us and try us to see if there be any, any offensive way in us, oh God. If there be anything in us that would resist your word. And we ask you to deal with it, oh God. We ask you to deal with it, Father. Because we want you, we want to draw closer to you. We want your word, oh God, to reign, to reign in our hearts. We want your word, we want the Holy Spirit to reign within us. We want your kingdom to be manifest, oh God, like it never has before. And Father, we know it starts with us, oh God. We submit ourselves to you, Jesus. We confess you as Lord today. We confess you as Lord of 2014, oh God. You are Lord of my life. I ask you to sit and reign, rule and reign on the throne of my heart, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We are passionate for you. We will no longer let compromise be in our midst, in our souls, in our lives. We will no longer let sin be okay. Sin is not okay, Father, because it is offensive to you. And you died, Jesus, you died. You were busted and broken on that cross so we could be set free from sin. Oh, God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the victory that you made available for us. So we can be free. We can walk in freedom. We don't have to be bound by sin anymore. And we choose to take up the cross. We choose to take up the victory that you made available for us. And we choose to proclaim that same victory for our brothers and sisters, those we come in contact with, oh God. We choose to share the gospel of peace, the gospel of liberty the gospel of salvation, the gospel of forgiveness, the gospel of grace, the gospel of restoration, the gospel of provision. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. Thank you, oh God. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Father, for your grace, which is your power and your desire to do your will. 
we thank you that it is only by your grace that we are able, we have been enabled to strengthen, to follow you, to obey you, to honor you, O God. We will not stir up the flesh to try to please God, to try to do the works of God. But Father, we choose to humble ourselves and walk in your grace, which enables us, which enables us, which fills us with the desires of God. We choose to walk in your grace, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, you are so good, Father, all the time. And we want to declare your goodness, Father, to a world that is without hope, to, without hope, a world that is broken, a world that is desperate for peace. And Father, we thank you for the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Well, if we're going to put a title to this message, it's He Wants More Fruit. He Wants More Fruit, and we're talking about Jesus. And as I was reflecting over last year, 2013, which is typical for us to do when we come, we're about to come into a new year, and I was reflecting over the, just the good things that God did in my life personally, in my family, in this church family. Um, wonderful testimonies that we got to experience. And I was reminded of Ron King's eye being healed, which was awesome. You know, and, and you know, Todd's um, nephew. Um, and just different things. That's like, man, God, you're just awesome. You are so good. But I want more. I want more. And you know, our heart's cry is we want more. We want to see more of the kingdom of heaven. But you know what God's heart's cry is? He says, I want more. I want more. In other words, he made provision, wonderful provision through the cross of Jesus for his kids, his sons and daughters to be fruitful and to do powerful things in this earth that will glorify him. Is my microphone on? I just want to make sure you guys are hearing me. You know, he, we know, the, we know the story of the cross. We know what Jesus did. But I think sometimes we forget why he did it. You know, there was joy. The, you know, the Bible talks about that. That, you know, even though Jesus was not looking forward to the cross. He was looking forward to the joy that was on the other side of that cross. And that joy is you and me, not only coming to know him in an intimate way, but for us being effective in sharing the gospel to other people and seeing people who are, whose lives are twisted and broken and just destroyed being restored and healed because of the gospel being represented, presented and accepted. And so as much as we've seen wonderful things happen, 2013, he wants more for his church in 2014. He wants us to bear more fruit for him. Go ahead and turn to uh, John 15. Verse 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So he chose not just to leave the branch alone. This branch was bearing fruit. But he didn't just leave it alone and say, good job. But he took that branch and he pruned it so that it will bear more fruit. I believe the Lord is pleased with the fruit that we bear. But he wants more. He wants more for our good and for the sake of the kingdom. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, in him bears much fruit. 
So remember, we go from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. In verse 5, for without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them in the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. Verse 7 again, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Isn't that powerful? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So right here, that's a pretty big promise. That we can ask whatever we desire, we desire and it shall be done for us. By this is my Father glorified. He is glorified when our prayers are answered. I mean, how many of you are tired of, of maybe having maybe a 50% success rate or 40% or 55? In other words, 50% of your prayers go unanswered. God's not glorified in that because then it's just a, it's just a hit and miss. It's just a... Oh, well, maybe he will answer this. Maybe he won't. God desires for us to pray and our prayers are answered. And this is he glorified. First John five, verse 14 and 15. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. First John five, 14 and 15. Psalms 37, 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of whose heart? Your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He wants us to have the type of relationship with him that we pray for things and they come to pass. He wants us to have the type of relationship with him. This is when Jesus went to the cross and he died that horrible death. This is what he had in mind. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, however you want to look at it. Who he can entrust the kingdom to in such a way that what we ask for is granted. Turn back to uh, John 15. I forgot to bring my real Bible. I intended to. Technology gets on my nerves sometimes. Look at verse um, 9. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So he's not only talking about his joy, he's talking about our joy, too. So He's talking about a mutual fulfillment of joy, his and ours. And here's how. Verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, because all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. And listen to this. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you that you love one another. So he's talking about friendship. He says, no longer do I call you, call you servants, but friends. 
I call you friends. He's wanting a type of relationship with us where we, he can call us friends, where he can entrust to us kingdom secrets, kingdom things. And then he says, we will ask the Father things in the name of Jesus and we will get them. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. You know, there's two other men in the Bible that I can think of that he called friends in the Old Testament. One was Moses and one was Abraham. And one reason why I think he called them friends was because these two men had the heart of God. And in one example with Moses, you remember when, you know, the story of when the children of Israel get out of Egypt, you know, they get delivered out of Egypt, and then they're going through all those trials. And then they're whining and moaning and cussing and fussing and all that kind of stuff. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're tired of this bread stuff, they want meat, they, you know, all this kind of stuff, and they're going through all that. And Moses was the leader of this, this group, this big group of people who were causing all kinds of headaches. I mean, you can imagine the headaches Moses was facing. And then these people did things, and God's anger got aroused, and he's going to wipe them all out. And he said, Moses, stand back. I'm about to wipe them out, and I'm going to start over through you. Moses had the perfect opportunity to get rid of his headache. Perfect opportunity. He's like, dude, Lord, it's about time. Go for it. Be my guest. But what did Moses do? He interceded on behalf of these crazy people. He fell on his face and said, God, please, please don't do this. He appealed to God on these people's behalf who deserve to be judged. God had every right to wipe them out. Did he not? They deserved his judgment. But Moses stood in the gap and said, Father, please. And he appealed to God and said, you know, how would this look to all the, to the enemies that, that you weren't able to bring your people out and, and all this kind of thing. And I believe the reason why Moses qualified as a friend of God, because see, the Bible says God desires to show, he delights in showing mercy. God delights in showing mercy. Sometimes we think that God is mean in the Old Testament. Then he had a kid and became happy in the New Testament. I used to feel that way. It's like, dude, God was mean. Look at all these people he's wiping out. But when you read the Old Testament, you really see the mercy of God. It, it just blows me away. I'm like, God, get him. And he delights in showing mercy. He delights in showing mercy. And I believe the reason why Moses qualified as a friend of God, because, see, God, I believe, really delighted in showing mercy. And he had someone who stood in a gap who enabled him to show mercy on these people. Moses was so tight with God. He loved God so much. Remember that one time when he and God said, you know what, I can't be with these people. If I'm with them, I'm going to wipe them out. So you guys go ahead. I'll send the angel before you. Go ahead into the promised land. And Moses said, if you ain't going, I ain't going. See, he was so close and intimate to God. And what I believe happened was the heart of God began to rub off into Moses' character. And God's passions became Moses' passions. And it was truly put to the test when Moses had an opportunity to say nothing and let his headache be wiped out. But the heart of God and Moses rose up and said, God, have mercy on these people. And God said, yes. There's another person, Abraham. You remember when, uh, and this is one of my favorite stories. I remember when I saw this on a movie, I just about cried. Because it was just so cool when Moses, excuse me, Abraham, and it said that, um, it said these men. Talking about the angels, and, and theologians say it was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Because it was God and these two men, or these angels, that came and visited Abraham. And this was the time when, when they told Sarah she's going to have a baby a year from now. Remember all that kind of stuff? Well, when they came and, and Abraham, he said, oh, please let me, you know, let me serve you, feed you and everything. And, and it's a pretty interesting situation. But then the Lord says, should we not let Abraham know what we're about to do? I'm paraphrasing. Should we not let him know what we're about to do? It's like, why would God bother 
telling Abraham what he's about to do. I mean, why would Abraham even care? God saw Abraham as a friend. As a friend. In other words, he was saying, you know what? We should let our friend know what's about to go down. There was a wicked city or two wicked cities that deserved judgment. And God was about to go down and, and, and wipe it out. And so he tells Abraham, oh, by the way, we're about to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and, and wipe it out. And then what did Abraham do? He began to appeal to God and say, but God, what if there's 50 righteous people? Are you going to destroy the whole town, including the 50 righteous? And then what did God say? He, he didn't say, yeah, I'm going to wipe them out because they all deserve to be wiped out. He said, you know what? If I find 50 righteous, I'll spare the town. And Abraham said, well, what is only 45? And then God said, you know what? If there's only 45. He got it all the way. He taught God all the way down to 10. 10. And Moses is getting a little nervous. He's like, you know, Lord, I hate to really bother you again. Could I ask you one more favor? That if there's 10. And God said, if there's only 10, I will spare the town. Now, unfortunately, there weren't 10 righteous people in the town. But look what happened. A man, flesh and blood, dust of the earth, communicating with God Almighty. And God Almighty says, should I not let my friend know what's about to happen? And why was Abraham considered a friend of God? Because Abraham had an opportunity to see that wickedness wiped out. But he said, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. And again, I believe because of his intimate relationship with God, the heart of God began to rub off into Moses, excuse me, Abraham's character. And the things that was in God's heart was in Abraham's heart. And so when he had opportunity to display it, he said, God, have mercy. God delights in showing mercy. Two friends that we see in the Bible. And here Jesus is, verse 14 John chapter 15, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus wants the kind of relationship with us where he can tell us things, he can entrust things to us. And we pray and it happens. That's the kind of relationship he wants with us. He wants to call his friend. You know, there was a song that came out a, a long time ago, became one of my favorite songs. You know, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Remember that song? And it's a cool song and everything, but there is a qualification. It says, you are my friends if you do what I say. Unintent or unfortunately, in the American church, We want to be God's friend, but we still want to be Lord. He's okay being a buddy and all, as long as I still call the shots. And obviously, according to this verse right here, that's not the intended relationship. You are my friends if you do what I command you. In other words, you can be my friends, but I have to be in charge. Because I am God and I know best. You don't. And because he knows everything, he knows best. And he has the plan that we're all to submit to. We submit to him. His heart begins to rub on us and we begin to understand his heart, nature, and character. So when we're in situations, we know what God wants to do in that situation. So then we pray in faith and the person is healed. Or the person is delivered. Or the person is saved or set free or whatever. It's not just a hit and miss situation. You know, when we pray for people and don't see them healed, I don't believe that's God's intention. I don't believe that's God's will. You know, for those people who carry the theology, well, I prayed, it didn't happen, so therefore it's not God's will. I don't agree with that theology.
we gravitate to, well, I prayed, he didn't do it, so therefore it must not be. There are other factors that hindered answered prayer. An example in the Old Testament is Daniel. He prayed. God released the answer. And what happened when he said, go deliver this to, I think it was Gabriel or Michael, I can't remember which angel, was going to deliver the message or deliver the answer to Daniel. And what happened to that angel? He was delayed how many days? When did God answer the prayer? Immediately. So was it God's will for Daniel to get that answer? Yes, God said, here you go. There was a battle in the heavenlies. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but by but principalities of darkness, darkness and wickedness. And we fight against demons, basically. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of the air. He rules the airways, so to speak, in this earth. This earth, the systems of this world are under the subjection of the enemy. But they will become the kingdoms of our God. But right now, they're under the rulership of Satan. But we as his people, God's people, have been called to take ground back. We've been called to take it back. We've been called to spread the gospel into this dying land. Amen? So what happens is, is just because we pray for someone or something and it doesn't happen, the prayer doesn't manifest, doesn't mean that it's not God's will. There are other factors involved. It can be demonic opposition or oppression. It can be doubt and unbelief. Remember when the man brought his son to the disciples. This kid had, been pro- had problems for a long time. Was it God's will for that, that kid to be healed? How do we know that? Because he got healed. When Jesus came, he got healed. The disciples tried and couldn't do it. The same disciples who had done all these powerful miracles and they came back dancing and rejoicing saying, Jesus, look, even the demons are subject to us. Check this out. And they had a big testimony party. These are the same men that saw all kinds of results and miracles. And then they come and here's a situation right here where they can't get it done for whatever reason. And some people can bow to the theology. Well, see, right there, it must not have been God's will. They prayed it didn't happen. But then Jesus came and he rebuked the disciples for their doubt and unbelief. Not only can demonic opposition stop hindering things, doubt and unbelief in the church is the major reason why we are not as effective as God wants us to be. Doubt and unbelief. When Jesus went to his hometown, I think it was Nazareth or wherever, and it said that he could do no mighty work except. He could do no. It didn't say he didn't want to. It said he could not do mighty works except heal a few sick people. Was his desire only to heal a few sick people? Or was his desire to do a mighty work? Obviously, because we see other places he went, he did mighty work. He didn't heal just a few sick folk. We saw where everybody who came to him got healed. And then he goes home and he marvels at their unbelief. He's like, man, people, come on. And he marvels at their unbelief. There's times when people, Jesus marveled at people's belief. Their faith, I mean. And he marveled at their unbelief. We want Jesus to marvel at us, but not for our our doubt and unbelief. Amen? We want him to look at this church, look at this group of people, and for him to marvel and to brag. Say, angels, check this out. See that body right there? He's looking for people who have a passion for him and his kingdom. People who are pursuing him. You know, in John chapter 4, it says when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and it says that, I'm paraphrasing, that God is searching for worshipers. He's seeking those who will worship him. Those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. But God is seeking. He's looking for. I forgot to look up that word in the Greek to see what it all the breakdown and I forgot to ask Greg too but I think it has something to do with he's pursuing he's looking for he desires 
people who will worship Him. You know, I get, I get, I've been becoming more frustrated because I found myself in this place, but I hear this language a lot where we, when I say we, I'm not necessarily saying you, but just we in general, generally speaking, we focused on what we as Christians can do and get away with and it be okay. And we say, well, you know, it's not about this or, you know, we don't have to do these things to, to earn God's favor and please Him, you know, or to earn God's favor, earn His love and all that kind of stuff. And that's true. We don't have to do things to earn God's love. We cannot do anything to make Him love us any more than He already does. And we cannot do anything to cause Him to love us less than He already does. His love is unconditional. So we can't do anything to earn God's love or to stop His love. Okay? Well, let's keep that, that truth straight. But what I'm talking about is our focus has become on me. And I focus on the things that's okay to do, the compromises. Because, well, you know, it's okay. We don't need to be legalistic about things. And we focus on that instead of, what can I do to please my king? He is so awesome. God, I just want to please you. I just want to honor you. I want to bless you. What can I do to honor you? That ought to be our focus. When we're in love with Him, you know, if if I'm married, which I happen to be, I'm not going to look at what can I do, how far can I go to make my wife not get mad at me or whatever. At least if I go spend time with that lady, is that okay? I mean, we're just going out. We're not going to do anything. I mean, is that okay? I mean, I won't be out too late. See, that sounds absurd, doesn't it? You know what the Bible says? Friendship with the world. He First he says, you adulteresses. He's talking to the church. He's not talking to the world. Because they're not, they're not married to God, so he's not even talking to the world. He's talking to his people, his bride. He says, you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Those of you who want to be a friend with the world... You want to, you're setting yourself up as an enemy to God. Adultery, spiritual adultery. And we think it's okay. You know, I find myself, excuse me, if, if I begin to ramble or whatever, just bear with me. Because I got all these thoughts just hit me and, and things I want to say and I'm just going to let it out, okay? <laughs> if we need to edit the tape, we'll do that later. But you know, I was thinking about Christmas and the season we just came out of. And as a kid, I used to love Christmas. Couldn't wait. Santa Claus would come. Couldn't wait. And I, well, never mind. I'm not going to say, never mind. I was just so excited about the presents I was going to get and all that good stuff. It was fun. But as an adult, more and more and more and more as a parent, Christmas began to get less exciting and more burdensome. For various reasons. And we could all, you know, the pressures and the, the finances and, and all that stuff. The things you got to get and all that kind of stuff. And, and that used to, that, that's frustrating. But then I realized, because it's like, you know, I wish we could have Thanksgiving and then skip over to January 1st and just skip all that middle stuff and just get on. Say happy birthday, Jesus, and just move on. But I begin to realize what it is, why. I mean, how many of you, I don't want you to raise your hands, but just thinking, after Christmas or during that, that time, maybe you feel just kind of, uh. And what I realized, and I just realized this not too long ago, this year is when I finally realized what the problem is. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that, it's okay to enjoy family and fellowship and all that kind of, that's the good stuff. But what I've noticed, what I've done is this become a soul and flesh fest? And I'm not even talking about sin. What I'm talking about is, between that time, it's like, okay, God, you know, maybe right before Thanksgiving, I'm all about his kingdom. But all of a sudden, Thanksgiving time, okay, Lord, forget your kingdom for a while, about a month. Now I'm going to be about myself. And everything is all about me and my indulgence and my fun, you know, football, uh, watching stuff and going to the movies because all the cool and good movies come out around this time. 
And I've realized that I get so involved in the soulish realm. And during that time, I pretty much don't care about anybody getting saved. I pretty much don't care about anybody getting healed. I pretty much don't care about anything related to the kingdom. But all of a sudden, then after January 1st, okay, now we can get back to people getting healed, saved, and delivered and everything. But what about that month? And it began to bother me. It's like, man, what is going on with that? And I realized the reason why I've been frustrated is because it's been all about me. It's been just this, like I said, this big soulish goo. And as I was sharing with you last week, the Holy Spirit uh, shared something with me. It's been about a month ago when I was having a quiet time and I found myself distracted, easily distracted, very distracted. He began to speak to me and that's when I, I shared, I came up with the phrase, the P-A-D-D. Prayer Attention Deficit Disorder. Where I noticed in prayer, I'm praying, but it's like text. Ooh, I got a text. You know, put that down. Oh, an alert. Don't forget to do that. Oh, yeah, I need to set up that appointment. I'm so distracted. Oh, it might be an NFL alert. You know, so-and-so is hurt for the season. They don't, don't know if they'll be, you know, all that stuff. And I've realized what's happened. The Lord began to speak to me because I used to not be that way. I used to not be that distracted. I could get in his presence and shut everything out. And it was me and him. And I didn't care about if the world was falling apart. I didn't care. Because I didn't know. Because I was totally focused, hidden away. But now, it's like I brought all that stuff with me. Say, hey, Jesus, how you doing? Yeah, I brought my iPad and my B-pad and all this stuff. And we're going to hang out and have an intimate time with you. Hold on a second, I have a phone call. Hold on a second, I have to update my status on Facebook. And see, all this stuff that's not necessarily sin, not necessarily it has become in many instances. And I began to put this thing. You know, Pastor Dale said something the other day that just kind of kind of slapped me in the face. It was, a re, it was a reminder. I forgot. You know, anti, and I forgot to look this up. So you can look it up to see if this is accurate. But you know, Antichrist, that word Antichrist, we know who that is and what that's about and everything. But I always saw that as against Jesus. Against Jesus. But what Pastor Dale said the other day is Antichrist is before Christ. Anti, in front of. And that just smacked me in the face because I realized it didn't have to be anything against Jesus, but something we place in front of Jesus. Did you get that? Something in front of Jesus. And then I started looking at things a little different and was like, man... So as I've been talking to the Lord and, and talking about wanting to be more fruitful, as I, was, as I started out with sharing that, you know, reflecting over the year and, and rejoicing in the cool things that have happened, but saying, Lord, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. He says, but you have to deal with something. And he was talking, that's where the PADD came up, the distraction, the distractions, the worldliness that I've allowed to come in and begin to taint my heart. And begin, things begin to come before him. And I've noticed too that my desire, you know when, speaking of holidays and all the good food, you're about to have a good meal. Maybe, maybe mom prepared this wonderful meal. But she also prepared all these wonderful snacks. There's cookies and, and nachos and just all this stuff. And you eat feasting on all this stuff. And they say, oh, it's time to eat. I'm going to eat. Are you kidding me? I'm not hungry. Because I filled myself up with the stuff, the other stuff. And therefore, I don't want the real main course. And so that's what I've noticed. My hunger for his presence, my hunger for his word, my hunger for worshiping him has begun to decrease. Because I've been feeding myself on other things. And it's like, you know, I need to pray. Yeah, I need to, I need to do that. I need to spend time in his word. But let me do this first. 
my desire for other things. You know, in, in the parable of the sower, when it talks about the different soils that don't bear fruit, the third one is, you know, the word is, is, is shared, but it's choked out by the weeds. Read that verse. It says, Mark 4, 18, 19. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Let me read that in the Message Bible. It says, The seed cast in the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. So the word of God does ha- doesn't have a, have a chance. I can read God's word. I can listen to God's word like you are now. I can listen to it. But if I have all these weeds in my soul, guess what's going to happen? The word's going to get obliterated. It's not going to have a chance unless I get rid of those weeds. And here's what the Lord showed me. He says, you need to deal with that P-A-D-D. Being distracted in, in my thoughts, going all over the place. You've heard me talk about soul clutter. Some, I hear people say, man, I can't hear God. I just can't hear him. God's not speaking to me. That's not true. If you're one of his sheep, you can hear him. That's what Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice. That means he's speaking to you. Now, whether you hear is not on his side, but it's on your side. If he's speaking to you, which he is, but you have a lot of static and a lot of noise coming from your soul, that's drowning out the voice that he's trying to speak to you. And so it's like a, like a, like a radio, a fine tune. He's wanting to speak clearly, but you have so much static and everything, his voice gets very distant or quiet or staticky because of all the stuff in our soul. And so until we deal with that, until we deal with that soul clutter and that, those distractions then we're going to continue to wonder why we're not as fruitful as he wants us to be. Why is it that I pray and don't see a lot of my prayers answered? I'm tired of 10%. You know, we pray for 10 people. We can rejoice with the one person that gets healed, but I grieve over the nine that don't. Like, Lord, what's up? That is not God's will. And so I'm beginning to, and I have been, been looking, Lord, what... Search me and tell me what's going on inside of me that's hindering your desire. Because remember, those that bear fruit, he takes and he prunes so they can bear more fruit. And then he doesn't stop with more fruit. Then he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you and all that, then you will bear much fruit. I'm paraphrasing because I'm butchering it. But his desire is fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Therefore, we should not be satisfied with just fruit. We need to hunger for much fruit. He wants the type of relationship where he can call us friends and he can share secrets and he can share things with us and we can talk to him and we can share our desires and pray for things and they happen. But what's it going to take? What is it going to take for that to happen? And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to go on a fast. I began to rebuke the devil. I didn't hear that. Because when it comes to fast and food, it's like to eat fast. That's a bad one. Never mind. But anyway, what the Lord put on my heart was, he says, what I want you to do is, is I want you to fast. And actually, he, he encouraged me that he wants us to corporately go on a fast as a church. And, I, and, and it's funny because the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about this, I'm seeing the reason, man, this makes sense. This makes sense. And I know something's wrong because I'm getting excited about fasting. You know, I was talking to my, one of my sons the other day, and I said, hey, have you eaten lunch yet? He said, yeah, I already ate. I said, well, come with me. I need to go eat lunch. So I'm sitting there. We're in the truck, and I'm eating this burger and fry, and I'm just preaching the kingdom, and I'm talking about fasting, and man, we're going to fast, and God's going to, you know, dip in the fries and the ketchup and everything. And I'm passionate about fasting. Thinking, what's wrong with this picture? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm not fasting right now. Because I am sure enjoying this burger and fries right now. 
But you remember when Jesus, um, he wasn't excited about the cross, but the joy set before him. He endured the cross. That joy was on the other side of the cross. I think that's what's going on in me. I'm not excited about the fasting per se, but the joy of what's going to happen on the other side. I see this time. One, I feel the grace of God is going to come on this church. That if we accept this invitation, he's going to pour out his grace on us that we're going to be able to engage him in fasting and prayer. I feel that grace starting to bubble up in me because I'm getting excited about it and, and making plans and say, okay, Lisa, how are we going to do this? And, um, and we'll talk about the ins and outs and that kind of thing a little bit in a minute. But what I'm excited about is knowing him. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and this may sound kind of crazy, but I was talking to the Lord, and I said, you know, Lord, I've been hearing him very clearly this year. Not as clear as I want to, but clearly. I mean, I hear he says things, and, and they come to pass, or he says things, and I do it, and, it, and you see fruit, and that kind of thing. And so I've been excited. It's like, man, Lord, that's you talking to me. That's pretty cool. But then I think, how much more? Am I going to get to hear him? How much more am I going to get to lay hands on sick people and see them get healed? How much more am I going to get to see the kingdom of God manifest in people's lives? How much more if I allow him to deal with this, this clutter, this stuff, this junk? Like, do I want him or am I satisfied? And see, that's the problem. Too many of us are satisfied. And my prayer for you, whether you want me to pray it or not, two lakes already started. My prayer for you is that you become so dissatisfied with where you are. That you become hungry and just, and you just can't get enough of his presence. You know, my prayer is, and I don't know if this is biblical or not, so if it's not, then just, I want to be a, I want to be a presence junkie. I want to be so addicted to him and his presence, just like a druggie who can't function without their next hit or their, you know, that they can't function without that drug or whatever. That's what I want to be. I want to be so addicted to him that if I don't spend time with him, that if I don't grab a hold of his heart, then I can't function properly. Now, that may sound weird and twisted, but that's my prayer. I've been praying that for years. He hasn't stopped me yet. He hasn't rebuked me yet. So I, I guess it's okay. But that's what I pray for this church, that we become so addicted to him, that all we want is him, that we crave him, his presence, his glory, for him to be glorified. You know, when Paula shared that word earlier this morning, that we are going to be a church, that we just cry out to God, we're on our knees and we're crying out to God, and we're going to see awesome things happen. I feel like the Holy Spirit put something in my heart a couple of years ago, and I've shared this before, but I believe we are going to see the manifestation of God's goodness in this place to an extent to where all we can do is cry. That's all we can do. Our only response is not laugh, not even praise Him, but we're going to be so overwhelmed because we're going to see the breakthroughs. We're going to see the, the things that we've been longing for for years happening right before us. And all we can do is cry. It's like, oh God, I can't take it. This is so much. You're so good. And all we can do is cry. Seeing people come in and getting saved. I'm still looking for that lady. I told you guys that, that vision a long time ago. I had a vision. I can't remember if it was a vision or a dream. There was a lady standing up here in a business suit. Blonde haired lady, gray business suit. She's standing up here and she began to vomit all over the carpet. And she was delivered. She was delivered and then she began to cry. Her tears were running down her face and she was just crying. Unfortunately, some people were focused on the vomit on the beautiful purple carpet. Instead of being focused on, this lady just got set free. And what I believe that means, we're going to see radical salvations. We're going to see radical deliverances. We're going to see the manifested people coming here and throwing their drugs down just because they come into God's presence. People walking in on crutches and beginning to shake those crutches in the air because they don't need them anymore because of his presence. And nobody even had time to pray for him or her yet. See, folks, that's what I long for. That's what I'm crying out for. And I forgot about that for a while, especially between Thanksgiving and Christmas, because I was busy with other things. 
And I'm so sick about busy, being busy with other things. And I'm not talking about not having Thanksgiving with the family and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what I've allowed my soul to get focused on. I can't tell you how many football games I watched in the last month. It's ridiculous even for a person who likes football. It's ridiculous. And I think some of you brothers know what I'm talking about. But we just get so fixated on what's before us. We allow the world to set our agenda. And that's what I've done. I've allowed the world to set my agenda. And I said, Lord, I want you to reset my agenda. And I believe what he's calling us to is a time for a reset. We can reset regardless of where we've been and all that kind of stuff. And this is not, when I was praying this morning, I said, Lord, I pray for your heart to come forth, not a heart of condemnation, that kind of thing, because that is not what the Spirit of the Lord is conveying today. It's not for you to feel condemned and feel, but man, I've watched too much football too. Woe is me, I'm just dumb. You know, not none of that. Because His grace is available for us to recognize where we are and say, you know what? Okay, this is where I've been. I don't want to stay here. God, I'm going to come, I'm going to begin to run after you. I want to be counted as a friend of God. So that I can pray for things and God says, boom, it happens. The kingdom manifests because my prayer is in line with his heart. And so I begin, I believe he's wanting us as a church to, to join together and do a corporate fast. And there's a card right here. And I'm going to talk about this more next week. I'm going to talk about the benefits of fasting next Sunday. But I wanted to introduce this to you. If you look at, if, did everybody get one of these blue cards? It talks about 21 days. We're going to start January 10th, which is Friday and go through the 31st and on, which is another Friday. And we're on that evening, the 31st, we're going to have a time of, of worship, a night of worship here that evening. And we're just going to come celebrate and enjoy God and thank him for the victories and thank him for the answered prayer and the things that have happened in these 21 days. I believe there's going to be some incredible breakthroughs. And what we're going to be doing as a church is there's some prayer focuses for the church revival. We want his manifest presence. And we want relationship with one another. And you know, I realized if you don't think that relationship has anything to do with revival, you're wrong. Do you remember in first, excuse me, not first John, John chapter 15, in that whole passage, when he's talking about answered prayer fruitfulness, right in the midst of that, if you're, if you're my friend, you'll do what I say, love one another. Remember that whole relationship, it's all tied in there together. So we want revival, that's going to include greater intimate relationship with brothers and sisters here in this body. We want that. Physical healing. I want to see my brothers and sisters in here who have been Contending for their healing for years and years. We want to see breakthrough. We want to see breakthrough. Financial breakthrough and provision for the church. We need finances for the church. If we want to continue to propagate the gospel and do the things of the kingdom, we need the finances. Right now, we're still running in deficit. I believe God wants a breakthrough for that. And so as you're praying, as we're praying corporately, and um, these are things we're praying for as a church, I'm asking you to join in as we pray for as a church. And then right here it says, my family and I are believing God for, and I want you to write down things that you and your family are believing God for and begin to talk to him about it. Believe him for it. And so we're praying for the corporate things and we're praying for our individual things. And there's some practical ways. Um, before I forget, I have this book right here. It's called Fasting. If you buy these books in there, you're going to pay $13 to $15, even $19.95. But you buy it from me today, but wait, if you order today, $8, $8. Now all I have is 10 copies. This is being one of them. And I do have, I didn't put yours out there, Shannon. I, I've resisted. I had to make money on her book. But I have 10 copies available. And if, if we sell out, I might be able to get more from that source. I happened, to, I was looking on the internet and everything, wasn't able to get them in time. They were $15. I called Mardell. In Oklahoma City, and he said, "Hey, we happen to that on sale right now, fifty percent off." I said, "I want them," so he gave me ten. And um, if there's more, a greater need for them, if I'm able to get more of them, then I will. But I have ten of these out there, eight dollars. This is an excellent book. If you want to learn about fasting, what it's about, how to do it, and everything, this book is wonderful. 
It's, very, it's an easy read. It doesn't have pictures in it. Sorry, I was kind of bummed. No pictures. But it's a very easy read. Good testimonies and encouragement and everything. So I'd encourage you to look at this book. Um, now, as far as fasting, again, we'll talk more about this next week. 21 days. Now, the thing about the 21 days doesn't mean it has to be a Daniel fast. And what we mean by Daniel fast is that's what Daniel did for 21 days. He didn't eat uh, choice he didn't eat the good stuff, okay? <laughs> I think he just ate vegetables. He didn't eat meat, didn't eat sweets, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so you can learn about those kinds of things, what type of fast you want to do. Here's some, some ideas on here. And on the back, there's some, some good notes and everything. But one thing the Holy Spirit told me, and I know this is an encouragement to me, and I want to share this with you. Do not make your fast the emphasis. That is not the goal. Fasting is not the goal. Fasting is a vehicle or a tool that we use. It's a spiritual tool that God enabled. I mean, because it's all through the Bible. Jesus fasted. Okay? He's our example. But it's a tool for, for a specific outcome. The outcome is knowing him more intimately. So it's not going to be just about dieting. You know, <laughs> don't just not eat and, and then not pray and all that kind of thing. Otherwise, that's just a diet. And we're not about that. I don't need a diet, okay? <laughs> but what, so the, the, the emphasis is not on the fasting, but I want to encourage you to participate in fasting. The reason why I say the emphasis is not on that, because it's not about, hey, I'm doing the Dana fast. Don't get puffed up and prideful about the type of fast you're doing. Don't let that be the emphasis. Now, I plan, my wife and I, we're talking about how we're going to do this as a family. I'm getting excited. We want to, I'm just excited about all the potential and the possibilities and everything. Um, and again, it doesn't start till Friday, so you have time. I would encourage you to research and, and plan. What am I going to do? What are you going to read out of the Word during that time, that 21 days? Don't just let it be haphazard. Or I'll just open the Bible and just read wherever. Have a plan. What am I going to read? Set aside... Maybe your fast is during work, during the work hours, instead of eating, I'm going to go and take that hour and just go spend time praying. If that's your fast, go for it. But be specific. And I want to encourage you as families to make sure that you have time together. Don't let it just be you, husband and wife, individual, but incorporate the family. Prayer time, uh, worship time, family time, hanging out and playing board games and just being together. Because what we want to do is we want to shift our focus off of the world things, and back onto Jesus and his kingdom. And so this is just a tool for that outcome. Amen? And I believe it's going to, be, it's going to help deal with the main thing of doubt and unbelief. Because remember, Jesus said, he, talked to, he rebuked them for their doubt and unbelief. And they said, why couldn't we cast it out? And all that. And the last thing he said, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Only by. So when we do the prayer and fasting, then guess what? We get to hit all of them. You face a demon and says, I, I only come out by prayer and fasting. I fasted. You're out of here. All right? So um, we will, a couple of years ago, Shannon shared a, a, a wonderful message on, on prayer and fasting. And I believe we've upgraded that. That's on that website. So it's, we dug it out of the archives because two years ago, and I believe it's, where will they find it? They just go. It'll be on the front page. It'll be a message uh, that Shannon shared a couple of years ago, and it was, it was awesome. It was, it was great. So if you want to listen to that, be re-encouraged, reinvigorated. Um, let's stand together. I don't know if what, I've, what I had to share today was clear, because I know I did some rambling. But I hope, my prayer is that you, that the heart of God just blasted you right in your heart, and your passion for him has increased. That's what we want. Your passion for him has increased. And so you'll be, because that's your goal, then you'll be willing to do whatever it takes. Fasting, prayer to get him. Amen? And so I'd encourage you, if you don't have one of these, take one with you. Begin to plan, strategize how you're going to do the fast and everything. If you have questions or want ideas or whatever, feel free to call, text, ask me, and I'd be happy to share with you. And I have to admit, I'm not a professional faster. I've been able to dodge him a lot over the years. Because I was always busy when it came to fasting, so I had excuses. But uh, 
And I've fasted some over the years, but I'm really excited about this. And I've never done a 21-day fast before. But I'm excited about this. One, I believe God's grace is going to be on it. But I believe we as a church are going to enter into a new season. I'm about to enter into a new season of my life because of the choices I'm making. And I believe we as a church are going to do the same thing. He's inviting us. Let's go with him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the invitation to draw close to you. You desire for us to be your friends. And Lord, we want to position ourselves to be your friends. We want to honor you and walk in obedience to you and bear fruit that honors and brings glory to your name. Thank you for your grace. We embrace it. We accept it. Holy Spirit, we begin to ask you for your idea for me individually. Because we know all of our fasting is not going to look alike. And so, Holy Spirit, help me to hear you, your plan for me and my family as we participate in this fast. And I thank you, Father, for speaking to your people. And I just bind up any condemnation that would try to come on anybody. I bind it up in Jesus' name. We choose to walk in your grace, Father. We love you and we thank you. And Father, I pray that you would help everyone to get home, to make it out of the parking lot safely and get home safely in Jesus' name. Amen.